Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, Mike Haslam, Head of Funds Distribution, questions Jean-Paul Yeagers, Head of Asset Allocation, on recent news topics covering tariffs, Trump's views on interest rates, and China weakening its currency. Welcome everybody to Word on the Street. Uh, My name is Mike Haslam and this is my opportunity to look back at the news that has been making the headlines over the last week. And to help me make sense of all this, I'm joined by uh, Jean-Paul Yeager, Head of Asset Allocation. So thanks for joining me this morning. Uh, Today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to focus on tariffs, Trump and Brexit. Seems like there are topics that we've been talking about for such a long time. Um, Thank goodness the uh, football is starting this evening. We'll have something else to talk about next week. So let's kick off with tariffs, JP. Uh, So uh, President Trump has recently announced increasing the tariffs on Chinese goods. And this brings the average tariff um, applied to Chinese goods, on average, uh, to just over 20%. And if you... If you look back to when Trump took office, uh, that figure was close to just 3%. So this is now looking like it, you know, it's getting pretty serious. Um, and as a response, uh, the Chinese exchange rate has dropped and financial markets are somewhat rattled. Can you give us a little bit of background on what's happening? Yeah, of course. Good morning, Mike. Um, yeah, indeed, we have seen that the announcement of new tariffs will bring the goods being hit by, the, by tariffs close to 79%. So as previously, it was just the odd washing machine where the price would go up for where a U.S. company could choose to absorb and not pass on the price increases to U.S. consumers, we now see that the tariffs would apply to almost all Chinese goods being imported by U.S. consumers. So the U.S. consumers will see price rises on the Chinese goods if they do their shoppings. Um, What we also know is that China does not import as much U.S. goods as is is the reverse. As we see that the leeway for imposing uh, retaliatory uh, uh, tariffs is much smaller. So we've seen China look for alternative ways of keep pressure in the negotiations. One of them is to see uh, uh, the currency depreciate in response. Okay, could you give us give us just a quick explanation about currency depreciation? Yeah, so that means a, a currency uh, depreciation means the exchange rate falls. So previously you would could get, for instance, five Chinese renminbi for one US dollar. It now means you would get seven Chinese renminbi for one US dollar. So if, as a Chinese company, you sell something abroad for five Chinese renminbi, then previously foreigners would see it would cost one dollar, now it would cost less. So effectively, your exports become cheaper. Okay, and can you explain the technicalities about how China actually carries out um, a, a technical depreciation of its currency? Yeah, so, so China it has, has managed currency. So in most countries, you see that there is a, is a floating currency. So there's no one who sets the exchange rate. So depending on supply and demand and flows, we see that the currency weakens if an economy weakens. So we see foreigners pulling out capital, so then an exchange rate adjusts. But if you have a managed currency, it's effectively the central bank setting the currency. So they determine what the exchange rate should be. And they allow a range of 2% for the exchange rate to move. But if it goes outside the 2%, they will push it back towards the level they deem appropriate for the exchange rate. The risk that it entails is that you could set your exchange rate too cheap. So that makes it more competitive uh, compared to other countries. And that's in particularly something that Trump has, uh, has been very vocal about. So, so when you look at it, I mean, this sounds like you know, a pretty easy thing for China. So if Trump slaps a 10% tariff on your imports to the US or your exports, then you just make them 10% cheaper by, uh, by um, tweaking around with your, uh, with your currency. Surely there is no downside. 
Well, it's not that easy. Uh, so, so we've seen in 2015 that the 20 largest economies actually came up with a, a pact uh, to avoid competitive devaluation. So that means lowering your exchange rate to gain a competitive advantage, as it would almost be certainly met with retaliation from other countries. And if countries start reducing their currencies and depreciating the currencies, it's very hard to see where that will end. So the gain for one country is at the expense in terms of trades of another country. And it only does is increase prices for consumers. Got it. And you mentioned earlier about the seven level, which is the um, seven Chinese renminbi for each US dollar. So why is this seven level? Why is, why is the number seven so important? There seems to be some kind of importance that, that we and everybody set on levels, where, whether it's the S&P at 3,000 or renminbi at seven. Yeah, so, so in most things in financial markets, the levels really is not really that important. But in this case, there is some symbolic importance. We've seen in 2015 that um, the, the, the Chinese central bank allowed the exchange rate to weaken a bit. And actually, it, it resulted in a lot of panic in markets. Uh, and, and we saw a lot of foreign investors pulling out capital. Well, there the uh, central bank had to intervene to stop to stabilize the currency. And it's long thought that the, the central bank would defend the exchange rate at 7. What we've seen now with the escalations is that the central bank has allowed to weaken it a little bit further. And that rattled, that rattled markets. Got it. And so what is the message for investors? What, do, what, what, what are we thinking? Are you thinking? Well, the, we think for the moment it, it, it's, it's a signal of intent. And that's it's often with high-stake negotiations. Um, but we think it will be quite unlikely that the Chinese authorities will significantly depreciate the, the exchange rate. So that's the thing that would panic financial markets if they would depreciate the exchange rate quite rapidly. We think for the moment that's quite unlikely. This is much more yeah, high-stake poker and showing an intent. Got it. Okay. Uh, no doubt we will be revisiting that topic. Let's move on. US interest rates. Trump has been tweeting again um, about the Fed and that they need to cut rates um, now and they need to cut them faster. Um, why is this? Uh, yeah, so, so the, the whole trade dispute is weighing on economic growth. So we don't know to what degree, but if we think about disrupting supply chain for businesses, it's, it's not great. And I think Trump thinks that if the Federal Reserve would cut interest rates, the economy has stronger legs to stand on in this standoff. Okay, and when you mention supply chain, so this is what US industry importing raw materials or, or I guess, partly constructed yes. goods. Yes, so one of the, the impacts of tariffs is that you reroute or disrupt <laughs> supply chain. So that means uh, instead of clothing being sourced from China, it's being sourced from Vietnam. It means, for example, BMW factories in the US being hit by Chinese tariffs or US soybeans being uh, sourced from Brazil, for example. So there are a lot of things where you see substitution or rerouting purely because of price changes. Got it. Okay. So potential tariffs uh, disrupt the supply of imports. Uh, this slows down the US economy. Therefore, Trump wants the Fed to drop interest rates. But how much can Trump get involved as a president? Well, that's a, that's a good question. So normally, it, it, it's, uh, there's a huge pressure on the Federal Reserve at the moment as he's so publicly voicing his opinion. And while the central bank uh, are tip at central banks in general are quite careful in how they telegraph the message to investors, so in a way his uh, public opinion undermines the message often that the central bank tries to get to to investors. So so typically you would see that central banks are independent, and that's for a good reason. Okay, uh, very much like the Bank of England, I guess. 
Yes, so, so a government typically has an incentive to generate uh, growth in the short term. Well, in the long term for society, it's often much better to get stable growth and get stable prices as the government is in charge of redistribution across society. So, for example, you mentioned the Bank of England. The F Bank of England got formal independence in 1997. So, in, in essence, Boris Johnson has no say whatsoever in the UK base rate. Got it. Okay. Now, sticking on the topic of central banks, um, last week we had an interesting response from one of our followers on LinkedIn when we were sorting through the many questions that we get through LinkedIn um, and was talking about coordinated central bank intervention. First of all, do you want to explain a little bit about coordinated response, what, you know, what that means, central banks getting together? Yeah, so we've seen that the Federal Reserve has become... Uh as, as reduced policy rates, we see expectations for Europe for policy reduction. So it, it, it's, it's a fair question. But coordinated responses are very, very rare. So that is actually when central banks all at the same time reduce a policy rate. And it's, it's extremely unusual. So it typically happens if you get a large shock to the global economy. So in October 2008, we saw that the Federal Reserve announced together with five other major banks to reduce the policy rate by 50 basis points in order to stimulate the global economy. So what are the chances of such a thing happening today? Or indeed, are we in a position where we need such a, um, a, a response? It's extremely unlikely. So as I said, the, the, it's, it's quite historically, it has been very rare. But also, if you think about the situation back then where all central banks could reduce policy rates at the same time, it's different this time. So we are in a different starting point. So for the ECB, with negative policy rates, it, it would look for alternatives to stimulate the economy instead of reducing policy rates while the Fed can still uh, yeah, reduce interest rates. I think that the bar is very, very high. Got it. Thanks, JP. And a very good question, by the way. Um, finally, can't go away without talking about Brexit. Uh, we seem to have a bit of a standoff between the EU and the UK government, blaming each other for um, not willing to negotiate. As again, we're seeing sterling weakening. It's falling off bit by bit. Um, any takeaways from this week? Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, we, we see that uh, yeah, as, as sterling often is used as the barometer of the negotiations, that sterling has been weakening quite significantly in recent months. Um, but for us as investors, it's very hard to invest on those kind of, of themes. Uh, we feel yeah, a lot has been discounted, but we see better opportunities elsewhere in client portfolios to uh, Brilliant. JP, thank you very much for your time today. Three topics to making the headlines. No doubt we will be revisiting all three of these, if not next week, then uh, pretty pretty shortly. Thank you very much. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.